alpha dog. I love yeah. that. <laughs> Welcome to the Alpha Dog Capital Deal Flow Channel. This is where we talk about alternative investments that you cannot find on Wall Street. Listen and learn about deals, funds, syndications, and business ventures. We are not investment advisors, and we do not give investment advice, but we do talk about investments you may want to consider. Don't forget, always do your own due diligence. All right. Well, welcome to another edition of the Alpha Dog Capital Deal Flow Channel. And today, my guest is David Cruz Palmer, and we're going to be talking about industrial warehouses. Uh, so, David, why don't you take a few minutes and introduce yourself and tell everybody what you do? Sure. Thanks, John. Super excited to be here. Um, so, I put together real estate investments that focus on things that have roll-up doors, primarily industrial warehouses, but also uh, what I call flex warehouse. So. Both of them have roll-up doors. Uh, an industrial warehouse is, you know, could be a logistics center, could be a thing that Amazon occupies. You know, all of these big box retailers have to store their stuff somewhere, and then all these manufacturing companies also work in um, industrial warehouses. And then flex warehouse, on the other hand, is uh, something that also has a roll-up door, but it might be the place where your local contractor or HVAC supplier. Um, stores their goods, and then maybe they do their operations out of the front retail sales, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I when I think of warehouses, um, you know, I think of like really huge structures, but I also know some contractors, what you said uh, about contractors. I know contractors that rent out like smaller space just for, for their tools and some equipment and yeah. some storage, but they're not really huge spaces. Uh, are is, so what you do, does that include some of the smaller spaces as well as like the really huge facilities? Yeah, it does. And, you know, I, the, the the funny thing is I just keep saying roll-up doors, but um, I, I think that's the commonality. I think there's, uh, so that across the country, there's a shortage of space that has roll-up doors. So, it, well, you know, that's measured as a vacancy rate, right? And you can pretty much put a pin in the map anywhere in the country and there's around a 3% vacancy rate for what's globally defined as industrial space. So whether it's industrial warehouses for logistics companies like the Amazons or, you know, you're a, your contractor that needs to store his stuff and, uh, and rents are increasing in both of those um, product types, you know, those, those sub classifications of the industrial asset class. So with the 3% vacancy rate, it's virtually all the warehouses are full. That's it sounds like. That's the idea. Yeah. You, you could, you could imagine that the 3% that are available are, are not super amazing. Yeah. So, um, what, what kind of, um, what kind of rents are we talking about? Oh, you yeah. know, I, I'm, a lot of my listeners might be more familiar with multifamily properties, rental sure. properties, commercial uh, commercial space like retail, yep. but in the warehouses, that's that's a little bit. Um, I think fewer people know about the space that you're working in. Can you give us an idea of what the what costs we're talking about? Yeah, great question. Um, the uh, the short answer is it's all over the map, uh, and it, it really depends on the product type and the location and the quality and the, and the demand. So. Right now, I would say that the highest demand uh, for industrial, for like a large industrial warehouse, the highest demand product type is something that would be a logistics center for shipping and receiving. So on a major highway or very close to a major highway, um, also very close to other highways and in major cities or in between major cities, right? So 
like when Amazon does an analysis, they'll say, where are the people, right? Because we need affordable labor. Where's the, where are the people? Um, how much is the labor? What kind of incentives can we get, right? Um, where's the land cheap and where's the real estate cheap? Um, so, you know, you could, the, the highest demand areas are probably like the port of LA, where areas where there are ports, right? So things get shipped to a place and then distributed from there. So that's really high demand. Um, for, for an Amazon, for a Best Buy, for you know any of these big box retailers. And then that when I said the type of building, so something that's 30 feet tall, 40 feet tall, um, really high ceilings means that you can store more stuff, uh, right? So rents are on a per square foot basis, right? Um, so when you can get more volume out of it, then the rents, uh, it actually makes more sense because rent isn't a volume base <laughs> um, decision. Uh, but uh, so if you can get 40 feet high of racking, then you can be more efficient with your, you know, 200, 300, 500,000 square feet. Or, or if you're Amazon um, with their newest facility, they opened 4.1 million square feet mm. in Southern California uh, a couple of months ago, which is 93 acres or 93 football fields long. It's uh, it's enormous. And uh you know, I said volume, that one is 97 feet tall. Oh, wow. So, so it's like a structure like that, is, is it one structure or is it a series of, of buildings? It's one enormous, most of their, um, the majority of Amazon's facilities, the ones that they're keeping. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of news and we act like Amazon's the canary in the coal mine, but turns out they're one of the largest companies in the entire world. Uh, but they, uh, uh, and so that's why it's funny when we talk about there. They have, I think it's it's around forty. It's a little over forty. No one knows the exact number except Amazon. Um, it's around forty of their spaces they put back on the market for sublease, and the majority of those, the ones that they're, it's called a disposition when you, you get rid of space. So the majority of those uh, that they're disposing of or getting off of their books are early before the year two thousand. So they're earlier vintage. So a lot of the times those had lower ceilings. Right. It's only become um, more practical or more beneficial to have these higher 30, 40, 97 foot ceiling heights um, more recently with technology. And part of the reason why Amazon did that is because they, they've got more robots now. So that's also part of why they're giving space away is they can be more efficient with a million plus square feet. Um, instead of trying to do the last mile thing that they were doing uh, for a few years, they're still doing that to some extent, but I think they're, they're retrenching and focusing on these larger million plus square foot operations where they can have strategic locations. So you can kind of chart the leases. They've actually signed some leases even since they, and, uh, and bought some facilities even since um, they announced that they were doing dispositions earlier this year. And the majority of those are in high value areas where um, to answer your initial question, uh, the rental rates are going to be a lot higher. So, you know, it could be $20 a square foot, could be $4 a square foot. Um, I don't think Amazon's paying for because they they move into brand new facilities typically. Um, so maybe $5 a foot somewhere. But if, if you're in a, a low cost market, it could be $4 a foot. And if you're in a really high demand area, you know, might get up to 20. And then the rent structures are different um, for industrial versus a lot of other asset classes. Um, industrial and, and uh, retail share what's called triple net leases. Not every not every building and not every market has a triple net lease, but um, triple net leases are basically it means that 
a tenant pays for their rent. And then on top of the rent, they pay for all of the expenses needed to operate the building. So taxes, insurance, and then the common area maintenance and utilities. Mm-hmm. So um, let me, let me shift gears a little bit. So when you look at warehouse opportunities to invest in warehouses, are is the opportunity to buy the property and then sublease and lease it out to yeah. a big company or is it something that you are building out and then selling to a to a big company or great, what yeah. what is the opportunity that that you yeah. see in this yeah, case? great question um it's all over the map um, and it kind of depends on the investors the the majority of the investors that i work with they want some kind of value add or they want the safest investment they can make um, with some kind of upside and the most common strategy that I use is to find a building that has an existing tenant in, in it. Um, that tenant's paying below market rent because for the past few years, industrial rents have, depending on your market, they could have gone up 20% year over year. So if they signed at least five years ago and maybe rents went up 8%, just market-based rent, right? Mm-hmm. So the peer group uh, rents when they hit the market. Um, because there's a 3% vacancy rate pretty much anywhere you drop a pin on the map. That means that there's more demand and that means that rents can go up. So, um, you know, subtle bidding wars um, turn into higher rents and higher rents mean higher NOI, right? Mm-hmm. So if you buy a building based on um, T12 where, or uh, or even the projected next year's rents, right? So when you do a cap rate analysis, it's based on the following 12 months the the 12 months the first 12 months that you're going to own the property right so you look at the next 12 months um and then maybe there are two years left on the lease and it's a five-year lease or a seven-year lease sometimes they get up to 15 years for industrial space and rents have gone up significantly and maybe you won't make a lot of money in the next year maybe not even for two years but you know that rents are really high and the market's really tight and that tenant doesn't have any other options and um you can look at the construction that's going on in the area and maybe they're on rail, right? If they're on rail, then that they have even more limited options. So if you can find a property that has a really strong tenant, publicly traded tenants are really common for industrial space. So you get a fortune 500 company, leasing mm-hmm. 200,000 square feet, um, paying uh, below market rents and you wait it out uh, for a couple of years, you get financing and you, you pay a fair price, right? You don't have to, um, buy it at a three cap like a multifamily investor right who's gonna renovate the building and then add value that way the value add is through restructuring um, either the lease so that the tenant absorbs the operating expenses through the noi uh, uh, through the triple nets which can frequently be around 25 percent of the of the actual rent right so if you're making a million dollars off of a property and uh, it's a gross lease where the landlord pays all these expenses, the taxes, insurance, and up and utilities. That could be 20, 25% of the income. And if you can push that off onto the tenant, um, that could significantly in, improve your NOI. So the play is buy a property, the play that I use, uh, find a property with a good tenant or multiple tenants with rolling leases that either are not triple net or are below market or both and then restructure the leases so that they're closer to market and refinance, do a cash out refi, get your money back. You don't pay taxes on that money. You own it for, for, you know, years to come after that. And so you restructure Mm -hmm. it uh, so that it's a triple net lease ideally, and you bring the rents to market 
So your NOI goes way up. Your cap rate maybe stays the same, but um, it's based on a much higher NOI, so the value is higher. Mm-hmm. Refinance, grab that value and invest in the next thing. So you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago that some of these leases are like really long term. I think you said fifteen year lease Could be, yeah. on some of them. So when a when a tenant has a fifteen year lease in a warehouse, is there any provision for the landlord to raise the rent or based on um, uh, the cost of living or or um, anything or or is the landlord locked in? Uh, um, two, two answers: whatever is in the lease is legally binding. Um, but within every, almost every commercial lease, whether it's office, retail, um, industrial, uh, there, there's an annual rent escalation built in. And so the rent naturally increases. So the rent that they pay, whether it's triple net or not, is called base rent, right? It's defined as base rent in the lease. And it says year one base rent is, you know, $4 a square foot. And then it's a hundred thousand square feet. So $400,000. And then. Uh, says each year after the base year, rent will go up X percent. So commonly that's 3%, 4%, sometimes 5%. And sometimes it's actually based on CPI or best case scenario is like the greater of 3% or 5 or CPI. Actually, I, I'm uh, I'm looking at a property in Florida that's the greater of 5% or CPI, and that's in Jacksonville. Um, and so if CPI increases the way that it has, um, if you owned a building this year, you could have a twenty percent. You could you could actually have uh, maybe up to a twenty percent increase in rent year over year uh, if it's mm-hmm. tied to CPI. Just because okay. inflation's been nuts. So that sounds like that's a pretty significant part of the yeah, opportunity I mean, that you see. Yeah, CPI is harder to get, um, and a lot of times someone will put a cap on it, and I think reasonably so, um, because all you're getting really is rent, right? And if it's a triple net lease, then they're absorbing all the inflationary costs. Mm-hmm. So, right, you know, insurance always goes up, taxes go up because you just bought the building at a presumably a higher basis, right, than the previous owner. So they'll pay the taxes. So taxes, insurance, and then the operating expenses, right? Like if you ha- if you have to hire a property manager, um, that person's going to, you know, over time, it's going to cost more to use those people too, right? And just labor, labor costs more. But if you can push those costs off onto the tenant, they're absorbing the inflation, all these um uncertain costs that could be tied to inflation right mm-hmm. um but you can also get sometimes you can also get a cpi based increase in the rent okay so um shifting gears a little bit again uh looking at the opportunity or the um the types of of uh roll-up doors uh that you're looking at yep. uh i see a lot of like smaller warehouses like in different areas you know like like just kind of in a residential area you kind of just maybe go a few miles it might be an area where there's some like small uh warehouses that sort of thing then of course in other air- locations there's like huge huge warehouses so do you try to focus on um any particular uh type of of warehouse are you looking for uh, those bigger complexes or are there the same opportunities in the smaller ones or what? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, I think, I think the answer is something like every building tells its own story, right? If you have a tenant that isn't really stable or secure and it's a single tenant building, then that might be a rough bet, especially if you're paying, um, 
landlords know that the industrial spaces, you know, who if someone owns an industrial building right now, they know that it's valuable because they're getting calls. Uh, it's nothing like single family or multifamily or you know um, some of the other asset classes, but they're they're definitely getting calls. Um, they know that industrial their their building is worth more, right? If you owned a thing, you would you know that it's worth more money. Mm-hmm. Right? Secret secrets like that aren't, aren't kept from from people. Um, but uh, if you're so if you pay current market price or a low cap rate for a building where the tenants not really stable or secure then i i just i think that's a crazy risk to take i don't think you have to but if there's a mix of tenants then that absorbs the risk right um if the rent if you can figure out what rents are right you can, if it's a if it's a small town um well you can go in what's called co-star you could talk to a broker brokers know what the rents are you can find out if the average rents are below market you, right if it's on the market find out what the average rents are in the building uh, and find out what the average rents are for similar buildings in the area. You can look that up on LoopNet for free, Crexi for free, C-R-E-X-I. Um, you can talk to a broker. They can look that up for you for free. And um, you can kind of do your own research. Sometimes that stuff's on, I don't know, Facebook Marketplace, oddly, or, uh, mm. or Craigslist. Um, but LoopNet, Craigs, uh, and Crexi are free and easy. CoStar is a thing that you have to pay for that brokers use and that mm-hmm. commercial brokers use. And so you can find that answer out pretty quickly. Um, so you ask your broker, you know, what are the rents? What should the rents be? And are the rent, is the rent structure at triple net or gross? And, and what could that be reasonably, right? Some markets won't allow you to, there's just no room to switch it to triple net. But um, yeah, I think if you were looking at something outside of the city, a couple miles away, check out who the tenants are, right? If it's, you know, if we're going into a recession right now, auto mechanics are, great tenants right now that's one of the most stable uh asset, one of the most stable jobs um, that you can have which means that it's one of the most stable tenants that you can have i'm i'm in contract on a building in just outside of richmond that's almost all auto mechanics um that thing's crazy that's like a 12 cap um and the mm-hmm. rents are fair they're a little bit below market and uh there's just a touch of environmental that i have to fix and so because of that i'm getting a ton of value um, by remediating something that doesn't even actually need to be remediated, but um, the banks want to see it done because it's in a phase one report in a mm-hmm. phase two also. And so do a little remediation, get some value that way. But uh, yeah, this is exactly that type of property, right? You can go out and find um, something with five or 10 roll up doors where some contractors and some auto mechanics are and um, just make sure the rents are in line and the escalations are there and pick mm-hmm. something that he takes a winner. Yeah. So you mentioned um, a pretty good cap rate on that, on that warehouse you mentioned with the mechanics at 12 cap, yeah. which is uh, really outstanding. I, I know a lot of guys that do multifamily properties and some of the bigger companies there, they've been buying multifamily properties at such a small cap rate. Yep. Uh, so in the last couple of years, uh, has ha, is, is there a greater opportunity that has developed in the warehouse space to get um, better than average uh, cap rates? Um, no, I mean, it's gotten worse. Um, but just recently with, you know, bank, bank that's gone from three and a half percent to, I don't know what we are today, 7%, six and a half percent. So with bank debt, uh, getting worse, um, it's funny, uh, cap rates haven't changed that much. There's still a lot of money out there. And I think in the same way that there's been a lot of attention and availability and marketing, um, focused on multifamily and single family, that's starting to grow a little bit in 
more commercial type assets and in particular industrial, not a lot, but I'm, I'm seeing people who were doing multifamily fundraising, raising funds for like co-GPs, things like that for industrial type properties mm-hmm. and some remote part markets. Cause they're partnering with, um, with an, a sponsor who found a deal and they're like, Hey, this kind of makes sense. So, um, so they're putting money together and advertising on LinkedIn, and, you know, some other places I'm seeing more and more, um, you know, I'll talk about it now and it'll show up on my Instagram later today. Right. More of those things. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, there aren't that many more opportunities or better opportunities because industrial is seen as this really strong asset class. And that's because partly because you can still get, um, because the vacancy rates are really low. So the upside is more obvious. I think the the real reason people haven't invested in commercial or industrial as opposed to multifamily or single family is because um, I think there's this mystique around having a commercial lease. Um, you know, like how many commercial leases have you read? If you're not a broker or, or a real mm-hmm. estate attorney or, or a seasoned um, investor, right? Probably not a lot. Um, they're not they're not easy to read, but they're not impossible. Um, I've actually got a primer that I'm happy to share with you. I don't know if you do show notes or things like that, but happy to share with your group. Um, and it's just like a couple pages on these are the things that you want to look for when mm-hmm. you when you have a commercial real estate lease and it um, it defines like where the leverage points are for a tenant or, or a landlord. So if you were underwriting a property, you'd want to see um, what the options are, what the rents are, kind of the, the stuff I was talking about before. Um, so you can make some good assessments or judgments on what your where the leverage might be at different points in time and with different tenants, whether you're getting a new tenant or whether you're inheriting an old lease. You want to know what you're walking into and just mm-hmm. have a sense of it so that you can either get a gut feeling or figure out how to uh, quantify what the exposure might be. Mm-hmm. So the, the structure for investing in a warehouse, are you using like a, a syndication type of structure like like would be similar with a multifamily property. Yeah. Uh, so pretty much the pretty same. Much. I, I think that, yeah, the difference um, comes down to how saturated the multifamily world is. Um, I don't, I, I haven't done any code GPs yet. I'm, I'm seriously considering it because I, uh, I set up a system for finding off market properties uh, earlier this year. And so it's kind of passively working on its own in the background. So I'm getting a lot of looks um, and what's nice about it is I'm getting a lot of looks as um, if there is any softness in the market or any insecurity, um, one of the markets I target is Florida, right? So um, reaching out to owners of properties directly in Florida and um, you know they just had a big hurricane. So change the message up a little bit and say, hey, I know there's a hurricane. I know you weren't thinking about selling. Um, what are you thinking now, right? And so I've actually gotten some responses from that. But um, yeah, the syndication structure is simple. Um, I'm thinking about doing co-GPs just so that I can scale faster, especially um, if and as opportunities come up so I can underwrite and focus less on fundraising and more on um, kind of managing the assets mm-hmm. and finding the assets. Um, but yeah, it's a, you know, there's a GPLP structure and there's typically a waterfall and then um, some of the assets have, you know, there's a five-year horizon. Like I said, there's a lease that expires in three years. So you restructure the lease, re- redo the debt. Um, maybe it's a five-year horizon. And then you do the cash out refi or you sell, whatever, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. So, so you would get up, um, you would get your money back plus some in a reasonably short period of time if you can find some of those and, and do that the right way. 
and then either you know cash flow to to the end of depreciation or you know, sell after ten years, figure it out later. But get mm-hmm. your money back, and um, depending on what the plan is, every property is different. But then some properties just have those three or five percent annual rent escalations, and so you like the location, you like the tenant, and you like just predictable, stable cash flow. Some people would do that for a fifteen year lease and be totally happy. Mm-hmm. I'd rather I'd rather get the pop in five years and then figure it out. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I think both things are right. Um, institutional like Goldman Sachs, they do the fifteen year play. Okay. More than anything else, the, you know, they buy things at three, four, five cap caps because, um, well, because they can, right? They bill right. into dollars. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but you to, you know to listen to them on a podcast talk about how they see cap rates at three and four and five percent, but they're buying these you know Amazon occupied assets and they're they'll buy a whole portfolio of them. Um, so in between Goldman Sachs and Prologis, those are the two largest industrial real estate landlords in the world. Okay. So the typical investor that go, that would invest in a, um, uh, you know, a warehouse syndication deal, what, um, what, what can they expect? You, you mentioned a few timeframes, but is the typical investor looking for, you know, a five-year, you know, timeframe or do you have, you know, are there a lot of individual investors that, that are willing to put in money for 15 years? No, I haven't found too many of them. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, More no, of like not, an institutional to, play. On yeah, no, that's right. One. Yeah. No, and I and I've tried it because I found a few that that seemed like really good stable investments. Um, but I think the majority of people would, you know, what's funny is like right even now where there's some uncertainty and uncertainty in the economy. I think putting your money into something that might have the opportunity for upside in three to five years is fine. I mean, how long does this thing go? We don't know. Most recessions last. 20, 24 to 36 months and who knows when they start and you don't know when they start until a year or two later or whatever right right so um you know if we if we get out of this thing and we're collecting cash flow for five years or you know and then we refinance at the end of that and rates come back down then that'd be great historically during a recession um i think it goes back this data point goes back to around 1980 um when a recession starts and is recognized, the federal government has historically dropped basis points on average, uh, dropped interest rates by 45, 450 basis points on average. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have 450 basis points to give yet like on this day, but but we're getting close. Um, so who knows if they're going to just drop down to zero or negative? Who knows? You don't really know. But just based on history, 450 basis points has been um, the average drop. And um they usually last two to three years. So, you know, it feels terrifying and scary and then they go away or, or we get one of these lost decades, you know, or we get stagflation when rates go up and down and up and mm-hmm. down and inflation goes up and down too. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see if this one, you know, everyone says this one's different about when the economy is super strong. Um, let's see if this recession is different. <laughs> yeah. So you don't have a crystal ball. You're not making any definite predictions, right? <laughs> I mean, I think a safe thing to do is invest in cash flowing real estate where you, where mm-hmm. you get the, the tax benefits, right? You know, it's so funny. Um, people invest in the stock market and that's what they, what they put all their money for the future. And I, I kind of love that as an idea, right? We're investing in the American economy or, you know, other stocks, right? We're investing in this, um, like building our economy stronger and, you know, I, I, that's how businesses can grow and that's how our GDP can grow is by all kind of participating in this thing together. 
But at the same time, um, you know, you call commercial real estate an alternative investment, right? Real estate is an alternative investment. And that mm -hmm. just blows my mind because mm -hmm. you get stable cash flowing returns. You can build equity, right? You don't pay much in taxes, if anything, because you've got depreciation. Yeah, 100% bonus depreciation through the end of this year, 80% next year. So you got this depreciation. Um, you've got all the expenses will offset the income. And so you're just getting cash flow and equity um, and you're using leverage. And that just makes sense to me because you can sell it later if you buy the right property. And so, you know, maybe you can invest in something with a five to seven year horizon, skate right over this recession instead of like letting your 50,000, 100,000, whatever amount of you know dollars, just melt melting ice cube while inflation takes advantage of it. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think that's the right thing to do. Like if you walked into a bank right now and you said, I don't know, bank, I want to buy some stocks, they'd laugh you out. But if you said, I want to buy some real estate, they'd say, step right in, let's have a conversation. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's a good, that's a good point. I like that. Yeah, right. you're absolutely right. So David, if um if somebody's listening and is interested in finding out more about what you do, uh, do you have any deals that you, that you can mention now or um uh, or, or just, you know, maybe just your contact information if you really can't speak to a, a particular yeah. deal. Yeah. I mean, I guess there are some regulations around sharing specific deals. I'll, I'll say that I have, I do actively have deals. Um, they're all, um, they all have roll up doors um, and some, and some very, uh, you know, very uh, ceiling heights. Uh, they're primarily in Virginia and Florida. And the deal sizes range from, you know, kind of around Right now, three to twelve million dollars are the ones that I'm looking at, and you know, some, okay. some fives and sixes in the middle. So um, I'm putting those together. Uh, the plan for all of those will be to have some uh, a heavy focus on upfront bonus depreciation. I'm trying to get a lot of seller financing if I can. That's how I'm trying to. That's mm -hmm. my um, particular uh, tactic in testing the softness in the market is seeing if I can get. 10 to 25% seller financing and then get banked at where we only have to put 10 to 15% down. Uh, so when you put such a small amount down, right, that does a lot for your equity multiple because you're mm -hmm. putting less in relative to the sale to the, to the total value. And, and uh, the seller is carrying some of the debt for five years. Um, but what that, the other thing that really does is it, you know, you're going to get a same whole dollar amount of bonus depreciation. So if it's a million dollar property, and you get 25% of the asset value in five and 15 year depreciable assets, um, then that's $250,000. Um, if you put 25% down, you get $250,000 in bonus depreciation. If you put 10% down, you still get $250,000 in bonus depreciation. Yeah, so, um, excellent. Yeah, yeah. so, so uh, not only does that juice your equity multiple, it also juices your bonus depreciation relative to the equity that you put in. Um, so I'm, that's how I'm testing the market, looking at deals for that. And, um, in case people don't know the bonus depreciation, what mm -hmm. that does is that, that, um, basically you could stockpile it for up to 23 years and it, it's used to offset your passive income, um, not your capital gains and everyone's taxes are different. Consult your tax advisor, but, mm -hmm. um, it offsets your, uh, passive income like you would receive from participating in a syndication like this. Um, so yeah, you can stock. I know people who have 30 million. Um, I don't, I don't know how much Trump had, but I'm sure it was a lot. And I, you know, <laughs> he was taking advantage of very old hundred year old tax code that allowed for that contemplated, uh, depreciable assets, uh, back in 1914 when the tax code was written. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. 
So if somebody wanted to uh, contact you to learn more about what you're doing or, uh, you know, to connect with you directly, do you have um, a website that you want to mention or any contact information? And we'll put this in the show notes as well. So people listening can, um, when they get to a stopping point, they can go, go into the show notes and click on a link to, to connect with you. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, Thank you for that. So uh, email is David at corridor capital partners.com. And then I'm also on LinkedIn pretty active on LinkedIn, just David Cruz Palmer, Cruz is C-R-U-Z. Yeah, I, I actually have your LinkedIn open right now. So I'll okay. I'll link directly to your LinkedIn and um, and put your email address in there if you want. Otherwise, maybe just um, uh, I'll, I'll put the LinkedIn profile at least anyway. People can connect with you that way. Open season. Also just happy to help if people have questions about syndicating. It's a, it's a tough road to get started in and there's so many different ways to do it. Um, you know, I learned from answering questions and I also learned from other people. So happy to, you know, link up and, and learn from each other. Yeah, that's great. And if you can send me, um, you mentioned earlier primer on, uh, leases, I, yep. I think you said, if you want to send that to me, I'll include a link to that as well, uh, in the show notes so people can access that. Yep. That's great. Okay. Well, David, is there anything else that you'd like to mention about uh, investing in in warehouses that I haven't asked you about, or something that's just like uh, burning, uh, you know, in your <laughs> mind that you want to get out there? Well, I'm always company? thinking about investing in commercial real estate. I'm always <laughs> thinking about, um, yeah, um, assets. Um, you know, I could go off on tangents about deglobalization and and how it's gonna how it's gonna impact. Um, continued demand for years but um no i, I mean I, I think all these questions are great right so i think it's a really strong asset class for years to come um it will be there's not enough supply their interest rates are super high so there's not going to be um it doesn't look like there's projected to be enough speculative construction to accommodate the current demand um and so this is a great asset class to invest in for years to come um, and if you pick the right market and the right building with the right tenant the right story uh, I, I think you can see some like really healthy returns and also safe, stable returns, which I, you know, I'm not sure which is more appealing um, on October 26, 2022. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great, David. Thanks for joining me today, and thanks for taking the time to talk to me. This has been been a great conversation, and I hope that um, uh, our li- listeners uh, get a lot of value out of uh, what you had to say today. Yeah, thank you so much. All right. Thanks. Take care. <laughs>